going to stretch out. Each, each little um, episode in the book of Judges is a unique look at a, at a human condition and also God's remedy. What we've discovered is this. No matter how big our unfaithfulness is, God's faithfulness is even bigger. And today we're going to see that in a big way from a big man um, in, in one of these uh, stories of the Judges. To start off with, uh, I wanted to make an observation, and that's this. Maybe if, if you have a kid in grade school or in high school, or if you used to be a kid in grade school or in high school, <coughs> and you played sports, maybe you've heard of something called the slaughter rule. Is that familiar? The slaughter rule with regard to, to especially younger kids' sports? The more commonly known name for it is the mercy rule. I've benefited from it from a few times. Basically, the mercy rule says this. If one of the teams just gets drastically down, drastically behind, the officials are going to intervene to either shorten the game or just stop it all together. For example, in soccer or in softball or baseball maybe even, if, if one team gets up by 10 points, 10, uh, 10 runs, 10 scores, whatever, if they get up by 10, the officials are going to intervene and say, Oop, we're done, game over. The loser cannot win. Or in basketball or football, usually the number is about 30 or 35, they'll say once a team is 35 points ahead of the other team, they don't stop the game, but what do they do? They keep that clock running for the sake of the parents who are watching their poor kid lose this game. We've got to keep this thing moving and for the sake of the kids themselves. And like I said, I like the mercy rule because I've benefited from it a couple of times in my life. And it's no fun being on that field and just saying, I wish this thing was over. Because you're to that point where you can't come back. Now, I like the mercy rule for a lot of reasons, but I think there's a danger here that I have a tendency to do, and maybe you do too. We take that mercy rule for sports, and we apply it to life in general. And to get our arms around what that means and what that looks like, I'm going to put the, the first fill-in up here, and I hesitate about this because it's kind of a negative statement, but it's, it's important to understand what exactly it is we're dealing with. The mercy rule teaches you this. There's a point at which you have no hope, and once you get to that point, you might as well give up. And here's why we love the mercy rule, because we're always looking for an out. If I have an excuse, if I can't physically come back from this, then I have an easy way to get out of it. And as we, as we talk about this subject today, I'm not going to get too specific with any one area, but you can apply this across the board. This, this could be applied to financial things, marital things, relational things, professional things. There's all sorts of different areas in your life where you can get to this point where you say, I've reached a point where I am beyond hope, therefore I am going to give up. Now, here's the cool thing we're going to see today. As we continue our series through the book of Judges, we're going to get to a judge today who's very popular. You've probably heard of him before. But of all the people in the, in the Bible, especially in the book of Judges, this guy had the right to invoke this mercy rule more than any other. Because he was in a position where he had no hope, and therefore he should just give up. And the guy we're talking about today, um, Samson, you've heard of him before perhaps. What was the unique quality about Samson? He was very strong like the bull. He was a strong guy. He was very strong. Samson was very strong. I'm going to give you a quick synopsis of how he took stage to begin with, and then we're going to fast forward to the very end of his life. But he was very unique because Samson's mother was sterile. Think about that for a second. His mother was unable to have children. 
That makes them unique to start off with. So what happened was God appeared to Samson's parents and, and he said, you're going to have a child. He's going to be special. He's going to be set apart just for me. And, and they say, okay, this is cool. We'll, we'll have a child. What should we do? And God says, there's three rules to raising a special kid. He's going to be at what um, the Old Testament called a Nazarite, especially a special vow set apart just for God. And there are three rules to follow. Maybe you know them. Rule number one, don't touch anything that is dead. No contact with things that are dead. That'll make them unclean. Second part of the vow, second rule for this boy, don't let him drink wine. No alcohol. And the third rule for this boy, this is crazy, do not ever cut his hair. No haircuts for, for young Samson. So they said, all right, we'll follow those three rules. And so they raised Samson. He has a special son set apart for service to God. And the thing about it is, when, they, when God came to them, the Israelites were in this cycle of, of the judges. They were in this cycle where they had fallen away from God, and now they were being um, oppressed by a foreign nation. In this time, it was the Philistines. And they were being oppressed for 40 years. Years For as long as Bethlehem has been a church, they were being oppressed by the Philistines. So God says, I'm, I'm going to have, have you guys have a son. This son is going to give deliverance to Israel. So this is really crazy. We're actually saving most of Samson's story for a different series. As you look through his life, there's actually a lot of relationship things we can draw out of it, mostly what not to do. Um, but, so we're going to save most of it. So I'll just give you a quick synopsis here. So what Samson does, the, the uh, catalyst for the story is this. He marries a Philistine woman. An Israelite man marries a Philistine woman. And we'll talk about this a little bit later. It's not like he fell in love with her and they, they had so many things in common or they met, met online or anything like that. It was, he looked at her and he said, that looks good to me. Mom and dad, get that one for me. And so they were married. He married this Philistine woman. And that was the catalyst for a lot of bitterness between him and the Philistines. Long story short, they took his wife away, then they ended up killing his wife, and so Samson gets even with them by killing uh, several of them, and he burns their fields down, and at one time, he actually kills a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. You can't make this stuff up. It's crazy. He kills a thousand Philistines with the bone of a donkey. Then he makes this really horrible pun afterwards. You have to read that section. It's in, it's in Judges uh, 14. So anyway, there's this strife between Samson and the Philistines. They're always trying to get back one against the other. There's this vengeful thing going on. And the Philistines want more than anything else to get rid of Samson. And they finally do. Now we're going to fast forward to the end of the story. This is when Samson has been captured by the Philistines. And you're going to see that more than anyone else, Samson has the right to invoke the mercy rule. Because he has no hope. Here's how the story goes. And I, there's a part in here that might be sensitive to little kids, so I, I put it in brackets. It's kind of a little different here. So here's what the, the Philistines did to Samson. They seized him. They made sunglasses irrelevant. Out. And they took him down to Gaza, which was their main primary uh, capital. You know what sunglasses irrelevant means, right? No more ocular, uh, yeah, anyway. So they bound him with bronze shackles and they set him to grinding in the prison. That's the lowest, most horrible life you could possibly have. The worst existence possible. They made him a slave. It gets worse. Verse 23 then goes on with this. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God. They're going to their church. 
And instead of having a cross, they have this guy named Dagon, this, this, this idol that they have. And they begin to celebrate. Well, what are they celebrating? They're celebrating that they have captured their enemy, Samson. So they're having all this fun. They're partying. They're having this worship service of sorts. And that includes drinking and all this other stuff. And so they're getting kind of crazy. And then this is what they decide to do. Hey, let's bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. We don't know what it means he did, or what exactly he did, but we know he was publicly humiliated in front of everybody. And you've got to be thinking, if you're Samson, is there any hope left? Can I just call it quits? Can we just be done with this thing already? Can we cut it short? Can we abbreviate this thing and get over with it? Now, you might say Samson had his rights to invoke the mercy rule, and I want to transition into the reasons why we do the same. Sometimes we might think, I wish I could just get through this. I just want to get over with it, abbreviate the game, whatever it might be. Maybe it's financial. You're thinking to yourself, I'm so far down, so far in the red, I don't care anymore. I'm just going to spend my credit limit week after week. And it's this cycle where I've given up. Maybe it's a relationship thing. Maybe it's a marriage thing. I don't know. Here are some of the common reasons why we end up in a place where we feel down and out. There's three reasons, three lies that we tell ourselves. Here's the first lie um, that leads to hopelessness. We tell ourselves, I'll never be happy again. I'll never be happy again. Maybe it's in your last year at college and you got the last semester and you got so many papers and everything coming up and you're thinking back to when things were so easy as a freshman. And you think, oh, I'll never be happy again. Those days are gone. Maybe it's a marriage thing. You think back to the first year or two of marriage when you just got along. You couldn't make each other angry no matter what you tried to do. And things were just perfect and happy and great. And now you're looking back at those days and you're thinking, I'll never be happy like that again. Or it's a financial thing. Or maybe it's a career thing. Again, all sorts of different ways we could apply this. But you tell yourself, you believe the lie. I'll never be happy again. Another lie looks like this. Lie number two. Nothing good can come from this, you tell yourself. Maybe you're in a big pile of trouble, a big pile of whatever, and you're thinking to yourself, there's no way any good can possibly come from this. And the last thing you need is for a preacher to tell you about how Jesus came and healed people and sent them to heaven, and they're all happy. And you're thinking to yourself, that doesn't apply to me right now because what I'm going through cannot possibly result in good. And you tell yourself, nothing good can come from this. And so you end up down and out. The third uh, hopeless lie is this. You You say to yourself, there's no point in continuing. There's no point in continuing this relationship. Let's just cut it off. There's no point in continuing to try to fix things financially. No point in fixing my career. And maybe it's even a physical thing where you say, there's no point in continuing to live. These three lies can be very destructive because if you tell yourself them and if you believe them, you will end up where perhaps Samson was. You're in a place where you feel down and out. Now, to to understand why we end up there, we're going to look at Samson's story a little bit. We're going to figure out how he got from being this this superhero of a guy who killed a thousand guys with just a, a bone in his arm a bone in his hand, we're going to see how he went from that to a defeated, blind prisoner in jail. 
And the thing is, his story is really, really complicated. It's not just one mistake he made or one thing that happened to him. It's a whole bunch of things. But here's the good news. He's so complicated that you're bound to have something that relates to him. So we're going to dive into the story. This is Judges chapter uh, 16, and we're going to see the final stage, the final season of Samson's life and how he ended up in a place where he was down and out. Speaking of Samson, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the Valley of Sorek. That's in in Philistia. So he fell in love with this woman. Her name was Delilah. Now, when, when, as you read through his story, when Samson falls in love with someone, it's not like I said, it's not like he set up a date or, oh, we've, uh, we got this in common. Your favorite color is red too. And it's not like they like the same stuff and they develop a relationship. It's more like Samson points over there, I want that. And it's a physical thing for him. So Samson falls in love with this woman. And verse 5, the rulers of the Philistines, they notice this. And they go to Delilah and they say, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we can tie him up and subdue him. And they say to her, if you can do this, each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Do you know how much 1,100 shekels is? A lot. It's a lot of silver. Here's, Here's one observation. When Samson met Delilah... There was something she had that he wanted. It was physical. When Delilah saw Samson, he had something that she wanted. It was money. And their relationship was based on, I'm with you because you have something to offer to me. And again, we're going to talk more about that when we get to our relationship series. But this is one thing that, that put Samson down a very bad path. Because what we're seeing him do is he's elevating a person to the place where God alone should be. In essence, he's saying, Delilah, you are the only individual in the universe that can really give me what I want. I'm going to prove that in a little bit, but he's putting her up on this pedestal in the place where only God should be. And just a quick, quick application from that. If, if you're in a relationship or if you're married and if you're saying, I'm going to be with you because you have something to offer to me, that's, that's a relationship that will not work because someday that person will fail you. If, if you're expecting them to give you what only God can give, they will fail you. And it's, it's in marriage where you take a step and you say to that person, I'm marrying you not because you have something to offer me. I'm marrying you because God has given me something that I have to give to you. Unconditional love. Anyway, that, that's a little peek at the series coming up. Anyway, so, so Samson has elevated her to a place she shouldn't be. You and I do that too with people or with things. We elevate them to the status that where only God should be. And when you do that, you're setting yourself up to be in a situation where you are down and out. Here's how I know that Samson had an unhealthy relationship with her. So she goes on and she said, Samson, come on, tell me your strength. Tell me your secret. How can, how can I subdue you? And again, why would he even go there? I don't know. But three times he kind of plays around with her. He says things like, oh, just wrap me up in bowstrings. Or um, if, you, if you weave my hair into a quilt, I will be powerless. You know, it's crazy stuff. She falls for it. She tries it. And he makes a fool out of her. So here's where he gets to verse 16. She's realizing, okay, he's toying around with me. She says this. How can you say I love you? Maybe I should change my voice. How can you say I love you? 
when you won't confide in me. This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And this part, this next part is actually in the Bible. I didn't change this. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. <laughs> actually in the Bible, actually there. I think it was put in there, yeah, there's a sense of, of sarcasm, a sense of humor, but there's also something we can lift out of there that, that's quite telling. This is proof that, yes, Samson has elevated her to a level she should not be. If, if she says something, he listens. But another thing is this. Samson is completely making light of a very serious thing that God has given him. God gave him a very unique gift, and Samson is saying, it's not a gift. That's just who I am. I'm a strong man, not because of some add-on. This is a core component to Samson. I am strong. I am a mighty man. I am a superman. And so this was something that he had believed for himself. And this is so dangerous for me to believe. If, if you know who I am, I'm a quiet person. You know, when you when talk to me offline, I'm very whatever. I think through my words. I don't talk a lot. But when I'm up on stage, not on stage, when I'm up in front of people, it's just like, wow. You know, I say all these things and people, oh, you're awesome. You're great. And is that, is that me? Or is, is that an add-on? Is this God doing something through me? And you ask yourself that question in your life, you know, the things you're good at, things people notice, and they say, hey, good job, good way to go. Is that because of how great you are? Or is God doing something through you? This is something that Samson got wrong. That's a, a, a mistake that can lead a person to be down and now. Uh, we're going to go on here. We've we got to keep moving here. She, um, then she called Samson. So what happened is Samson told her, okay, the secret of my strength is my hair. If you give me a haircut, if you shave me bald, I'll be just like any other man. So she did it. She, apparently he fell asleep on her lap. Again, physical things going on. She fell, he fell asleep on her lap. She cut his hair. And she goes on, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke up from his sleep and he thought. Now I'm going to pause right there. He thought, he thought. He knew from the time he woke up that Delilah had cut his hair off. He knew that. When he told her this little secret, if you cut my hair off, he knew she was going to do it. And so when he woke up, he knew. My head's a lot lighter. That's kind of cool in here. There's a breeze. He knew as soon as he woke up that he had no hair. But yet he thought, I'll go out as before, just like before. I'll shake him off. But he was surprised. Uh-oh. What he didn't know was that the Lord had left him. Now we start to get all sorts of questions. So was it his hair that really made him strong? You know, is, Fa is, is Fabio onto something here? Is it really his hair that made him strong? And there's actually a deeper question. I'll, I'll take it up a couple levels. The next question is this. Whose fault was it that Samson ended up defeated? I know, let's make it multiple choice. Whose fault was it? Was it A, Delilah? Was it B, the Philistines? Was it C, Samson himself? Or was it D, God? What's your answer? C. If you're going to ask the question, whose fault was it? You're right. It's got to be C. Why is that so easy for you to see? And what would Samson have answered? If Samson was anything like one of his great ancestors, he would have said, it was, it was A, it was the woman you put here with me. It's her fault. Or if Samson was anything 
like any of his other ancestors, he could have said, well, D, it's God's fault. It's B, it's Philistines, it's the world around me. How do you expect me to, to act? Why is it so easy for us to see in here? And what's the scary application of that? When it comes to being down and out, what's the first thing you do? You assign fault. You say, it was the person who was with me, it's the world around me, it's, it's God, it's whatever. We have all these things that we do so that we can give ourselves the mercy rule. There's no hope for me. I was helpless. I'm hopeless. Let's just get it over with. And so that's an easy thing to gravitate towards. Now I'm going to challenge you here. We're going to get to this final application point, uh, key point number three. And this is going to help us turn the corner here as we see the rest of Samson's story. Uh, t- consider this. Instead of assigning blame, what if... What if you could assign purpose? That's exactly what Jesus did one day when a a group of men took a blind man by the hand. They brought him in front of Jesus. The man was blind from birth. And they said, all right, Jesus, whose fault is it that he was born blind? Multiple choice. A, was it him? Did he do something wrong? Or B, was it his parents? Jesus said, that's not the right question to ask. It was not his fault. It was not his parents' fault. This isn't about whose fault is it. We're not here to assign fault. Jesus said, we're here to assign a purpose. This happened for a purpose so that people can see the greatness of God. And so Jesus went on to heal that man, and the purpose was instantly revealed. Now, I'm going to challenge you. What would it look like if instead of when you're down and out, instead of assigning blame and assigning fault all over the place, and maybe you finally get to a place where you say, it was my fault I'm here, whether it's financially or relationally, it's my fault that I'm in such a mess. What if you could step beyond that to assigning purpose for the reason you're there? It seems that Samson got to that place before he died. We're going to see the end of this story. We're going to see how he wasn't just assigning blame to people, but he was actually saying, this might be for a purpose. Let's finish off his story. It starts in verse 22. The first thing to notice is the Philistines did not cut his hair again. His hair started to grow back. Not because his hair was the source of his strength, but here's what the Philistines thought. They thought for sure this this individual, uh, Samson, he is down and out. He has lost his strength. He broke his vow. God has left him. He's done. He's he's down and he's out. And so they didn't even worry about it. They didn't even notice that his hair was growing back. They assumed that God was a God of magic. And what they failed to see is that God is a God of grace. A God of grace. So his hair hair starts to grow back. They don't think anything of it. Uh, The story goes on here. This is a key, key moment here. Samson prayed to the Lord. This is when he's being um, the entertainment, the source of entertainment for these thousands of people in their worship service. And he prays to the Lord. This is the first time it says in his whole life that he prayed to the Lord. I'm sure he did it before, but this is the first time we hear about it. There was one other time when he shouted at God, hey, I'm thirsty, give me something to drink. And God gives him something to drink. But this is the first time it says that he reverently submitted to God in prayer. Maybe he learned something. This is what he prayed. Oh, sovereign Lord, remember me. Remember me because I am so worth forgetting. Remember me. And then he goes on. Oh, God, please strengthen me just once more. This, this is so deep. This is so turnaround. He, he's acknowledging that his strength comes from God, from the Lord. And he's acknowledging it before God. And I'm going to put the best construction on his next words 
what he's going to say is, oh God, these, these uh, worshipers of Dagon, these Philistines, they think that their God has given victory over you. So use me to show everybody that you are the only true God. That's my best construction on what Samson is going to ask for. Here's what he actually said. Give me strength once more. Let me, uh, with one final blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. I wouldn't say this is a godly prayer or even a God-centered prayer, but here's what I learned from that. Samson did not have it all figured out even at the end of his life. He was still focused on himself, and he still could not see the big picture for God's purpose for him. And in spite of that, God worked through him. And I want to touch on one other thing real quickly. You ask yourself the question, or you might ask the question, so was it his hair that gave him his strength? No. Because here's the thing. If you say that Samson did something to deserve this, to deserve to be down and out, if he did something to lose his strength, on the other end of that, you also got to say that he did something to get the strength in the first place. If he could do something to lose it, that means he had to do something to get it to begin with. And that was not true by any means. Not true by any means. You see, God is not a God of giving rewards. He is a God who gives without demanding back. He's a God of grace. Who gives to all. And this was a, a huge lesson for Samson. Samson does not deserve to have this prayer answered. God, God should just let him keep being paraded around like a little animal to be mocked and, and to be made fun of. But instead of what Samson deserved, God gave him what he didn't deserve. This is how the story ends. Samson reached toward the two center, central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. Samson shouted out, he said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus, he killed many more. Here's the purpose. Here's the purpose. Don't miss it. Thus, he killed many more when he died than when he lived. And this was the, the purpose of his life. He could have sat there blaming people, blaming Delilah, blaming the Philistines, blaming God. Instead of assigning blame, he was being assigned with a purpose. And this was the spark, this was the initiation that allowed Israel to be freed from the Philistines. And this is how God gave deliverance. Now, now one quick parallel here. This would not be the last man who gave his life to save others. This would not be the last man who would die in order to defeat an enemy that was much more than one man can handle. He was not the last person whose birth was prophesied about and whose birth came about miraculously. This would not be the last man who would be betrayed by a close friend and be arrested as a result of it. This would not be the last man who was paraded around and mocked and made fun of publicly. And this would not be the last man who stretched out his arms to give his own life. You, you got to imagine that after Jesus rose from the dead, it says he looked back at the Old Testament and he told people this is why it had to be the way it was. And he pointed to Samson and he, he was such a bigger, better version of it. A perfect sacrifice. One man who gave his life so that many could be rescued. One man who gave his life so that an undefeatable enemy could be conquered. Only the difference with Jesus is that he didn't stay underneath the rubble. He did not stay in the grave, but he came back to life. 
And here's why. Because his life had purpose. His death had purpose. His resurrection had purpose. When he was on that cross, he wasn't assigning blame at people saying, oh, it's because of you people, I'm up here. You should recognize this. See what I'm doing for you. He was not assigning blame. He was assigning purpose. When he said, Father, forgive them for what they've done. And the purpose from the time he was born was you. Now, what would it look like if you and I could do that? If instead of when we get in our situations where we feel down and out, if we could instead say, what if it's not about assigning blame? What if I'm here to assign purpose? What if God has a purpose for me in this? And to wrap things up here, I'm going to give you one final thing to think about. And I think this captures the essence of it. It's it's the fourth fill in here. We're going to end with this uh, here right away. Number four, instead of seeking a way to get through it, I'm going to pause there. So often when you're in these situations where you feel down and out, what do you pray to God? God, just get me through this. It's like, God, I'm in a bad place. I'm surrounded by bad things. This is not what you want. Just get me through this. Just deliver me from this as quickly and painfully as possible. Ever pray that? Ever hope that? Ever wish that? God, just get me through this. I'm not saying that's a bad prayer to ask. What about this? What if, it, what if instead of asking God, get me through this, what if you ask God, help me get something from this? Help me not just to assign the blame and say, this is horrible, and just get me through this. What if you could show me that there is a purpose even in the midst of what I'm going through? God, here's, here's, here's kind of the whole thing for today. God, show me that even when I feel down and out, show me that you Your specialty is situations where people are down and out. Show me that Jesus who died and his his followers are saying, oh, well, he's gone, he's dead. And Friday they're like, oh, strike one. And then they wait around on Saturday, Jesus is still dead, strike two. Uh, Day three, some of the people figured this is over, they're gone, they left. Jesus is down and out. But God is a specialist when it comes to situations that are down and out. Jesus did not stay dead. He won. Now, maybe we can take something from that. Knowing that he has redeemed us from whatever blame has got us here in the first place, now knowing that he can assign a purpose to it. And as as we go forward in the book of Judges, uh, uh, we're scheduled to have next week be the, the final week through the book of Judges, and you're going to see, oh my goodness, people still just did not get it. They're going to go further and further into their unfaithfulness before God, and things get really crazy. We're going to have to have a lot of censors next week as far as the content we can show little kids. What we're going to learn is this. No matter what situation we get into, no matter how unfaithful we are, God reaches down in Christ to redeem, to save us from what we've done, and to assign a purpose for the future. Let's close off with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in Christ, you have given us something much greater than Samson. You have given us your own son who was born into this world, who was perfect for us, and who redeemed us through his death on the cross. Sometimes in life, when we get into these situations where we feel like we're down and out, remind us that you, when you are present, there's never a shortage of time. There's never a shortage of power. And when you are present, you can bring purpose into the situations that we must face. Fill us up with that hope as as we go forward from this day, as we look to assign the purposes that you have for our lives. 
Uh, we ask your special blessing on our brother, uh, Pete Wyman, as he mourns the loss of his oldest brother, Archie. We pray for Pete and his family as they gather during this time of loss. Uh, we ask your special blessing on him, that you would comfort them during this time of mourning, but also give them the hope that, that his brother, that their loved one, is now free from sin and free from all pain forever. So we leave them in your hands. We pray these things in Jesus' name as we also join in the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We'll continue by uh, give, having an opportunity to return some of our thanks to God in the form of an offering. If you're a guest with us today, please don't feel obligated to put anything in the plate. It's our pleasure to have you here. And if you're moved to give, uh, you're free to do that too. As we collect the offering, take a moment to take those black binders from the seat in front of you if you're sitting on the outside or inside of the aisle. Uh, fill out however much information you're comfortable with and then pass it to those in your row. Thank you. <laughs> 